has done. All of our lives, in many ways, ought to be a living sacrifice of praise. And in this passage before us, uh, Luke chapter 17, the issue of gratitude is at the heart of it. And so we're going to study this. We're just going to walk through the verses one by one uh, and, and be challenged by it. I'm sure we've all got friends or people we know, maybe in our family, who are, who are great storytellers. And I'm not sure if I've said this before because I've preached in Luke's gospel, but Dr. Luke was easily one of the best storytellers. Like he'd have you on the edge of your seat. He could make something boring so exciting. And the thing about Luke, under the guidance, of course, and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is that nothing he says is predictable. And so, so, so come with me as we, we, we walk through this passage, and let's be amazed, enthralled. And we're going to be challenged, so heads up. On the way to Jerusalem. That's how this passage begins. Now, Jesus is on his Jerusalem journey from Luke chapter 9, verse 51. He has set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. He said on many occasions to his disciples, he is going to Jerusalem because there he's going to be beaten, flogged, and killed, and then third eyes again. And so Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, and with every step, there's a sense of purpose and destiny. And I think Luke tells us this at the outset of this passage because he wants us to connect this passage with the events of the cross. You see, these two passages have something in common. Jesus does something completely and utterly life-transforming for people. And in both passages the majority of people are ungrateful. You'll see that as we go through this passage. And in both of these stories, the people who you would least expect are grateful. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. So if you want to picture this in your mind's eye, Jesus is in no man's land. Remember the Jews living in Galilee, the Samaritans, they despised one another. And so here's Jesus with his disciples and they're walking through no man's land as they make their journey to Jerusalem. And it's unsurprising that they meet a group of ten lepers. As he, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. Perfect setting. You see, lepers were banned, barred from entering any village, any town, any city because of their disease. And, and know what Luke says. As he entered, not when he was in the village, but as he's entered, these men aren't near it. In fact, they're standing at a distance. 
Now, if we're going to appreciate the dynamics of this passage, I need to say just a, a few words on leprosy. Now, the hard thing about speaking about leprosy in the Bible is the word is used to refer to different things. It's probably used generally to refer to skin diseases. And if you want a background of biblical re- leprosy tonight, you could go home and read Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. And you'll see there's, there's many different aspects to it. But, but generally speaking, leprosy. Flesh-eating disease. In, in Leviticus 13, the impression we get is you would look at your skin and you would have these white spots that were itchy. And you would scratch them. And they would stink. They would make your stomach churn. And then it would eat your flesh so much so that you could lose your fingers, your toes, your nose. It was the most awful of diseases, highly contagious. And so if you got leprosy, there was a process that you had to go through. So you would have to go to the priest. If you woke up one morning, you noticed white spots in your skin, and the priest functioned like a, a health officer. And he would diagnose you. And if he thought it was the flesh-eating disease of leprosy, he would declare you unclean. And he'd banish you from your home, from your town, your village, your city. And so you would find yourself living in quarantine, isolation. Now, just imagine, just for a moment, what that must have been like. One morning you wake up, You discover you've got this rash. It develops. You go to the priest just to get it checked, to to check it out. And he says to you, you've got leprosy. You're gone. You're not going home to hug your wife goodbye. To touch your kids for one last time and play with them. To tell your parents, you're banished. And in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, what we're told is this. As long as a person has the infection of leprosy, he remains unclean. He must live outside the camp. And then Leviticus goes on and it says, a leper would never have to buy new clothes. In fact, what they had to do with clothes was rip them. So when people saw you, they could tell, you're a leper. And you were never to get a haircut. In fact, your hair was to be kept long and unkempt. And added to that, you were to wear a face mask. <laughs> face masks are in the Bible. That's not a point in anything. You were to cover your upper lip. You were contagious. And you were to cry out if anyone came into eyeshot with a loud voice, unclean, unclean. So that no one would come near you. It was to be the living dead. No one would touch you. No one would near you. You wouldn't even stand your own smell because the stench of leprosy is revolting. It's hard to imagine your life, your working life over, family life over, recreational life over.
It's not hard to understand why lepers who are banished would gather together in leper colonies. Because you'd have to depend on others to help you. Fend for food and water. Some community to, to live in. And it seems that these lepers who lived in between Samaria and Galilee, they, 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 they've come together. And this leper colony is made up of ten men. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. In Luke chapter 5, there's a story of Jesus cleansing a leper. You might remember it. Jesus, if you are willing, make me clean. Jesus was willing and he made him clean. And then Jesus touched him. Incredible story. You can imagine that the chat perhaps down at the, the, the Galilee fish market. You know, Peter and Andrew. We follow Jesus, the one who touches lepers and makes them clean. You can imagine that spreading through Galilee. And perhaps one of these lepers in this colony had heard the rumors before he'd been banished to no man's land. And you can imagine one of them saying, listen, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, he, he, he can make lepers clean. He can transform our lives. And then, just just so happens, there's Jesus and his 12 disciples and they're walking through no man's land. And, and so they see them and so they run and they come and they shout, Jesus! Literally means he will save his people from their sins. Savior. Master! Literally means commander. Have mercy on us. Now, Do you know, Jesus loves it when people ask things of him. When we ask him to help us. He he loves it when we make a plea, a petition, a request. (laughs) You read the Gospels, right? Blind Bartimaeus, remember that story? Blind Bartimaeus sitting by the roadside. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Huge crowds. Blind Bartimaeus is shouting out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. All the crowd are like, shush, Bart, keep quiet. Master's got no time for you. Then Jesus stops the crowd. Now it's blindly obvious what this man needs. He's blind. But Jesus says to him, What do you want me to do for you? I want to see. Why did Jesus ask him the question? Jesus loves it when we give voice to what we need. It's called prayer. And so here these men do what Jesus loves. They make a plea. You know, we were made to live in complete and utter dependence upon God. And so here you've got men. And what they're doing, asking all of him, to, Jesus, to help them, it delights Jesus. 
Now, there's no story in Luke's gospel that's predictable. And here comes an unpredictable point. If you, if you were to just say, what might the plot line be next? Well, Jesus hears this request. He goes over to the men. Men, you're cleansed. Hugs them, touches them, sends them off. But that ain't what happens. Luke tells us that when Jesus saw them, he said to them, they're standing at a distance, go! Now, these men have just pled with Jesus. And he answers them, not in the way they're expecting. And that's just, that's a point, right? Sometimes Jesus does not answer our pleas the way we expect. Now, you can imagine, like, the guys turning to each other. What did he just, what did, what did he share? I, I didn't catch it. He, I think he said, go. Go. He's sending us away. How many times have these men had, heard other people say to them, go away from me. Get away. And they hear Jesus say, go. Then he says, show yourselves to the priests. Go, show yourselves to the priests. Now this is unpredictable, but in our sense it's not, because they said to Jesus, Jesus, Master! In other words, Chief Commander, give us a command. Always be careful what you pray for. <laughs> Always be careful how you address Jesus. He'll hold you to it. Jesus loves it when people make a, a request of them, but the response to, to Jesus, the most appropriate response is to trust him and obey him. Take him at his word. That's what Jesus' um, command to them is. Okay, guys, you want to be healed? Go. Go show yourselves to the priests. Because see if they, they were to go to the priests, priest was the only person who could declare them clean and allow them back into the community. Now, you can imagine these guys thinking to themselves, perhaps, just for a moment, what would the priest think of us when we show up these uh, us ten decrepit, disheveled men, lepers? He's going to say to us, go away. Once a leper, always a leper. Are you sure Jesus healed someone? No, I'm sure I, I, Jesus healed someone. I heard it at the market. It's true. So maybe they had a little confab. Okay, let's do it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go to the priest. And so these men turn and they walk by faith, not by sight. They heed the command. You know, sometimes in life, we might say to ourselves, in ourselves, we might never verbalize this outside, but out loud. We might say, I'm going to take my faith really seriously. God, after you do this for me. Only when you do this for me. Now, we might not, never say that out loud, but, but sometimes, we sometimes find, if I'm in a problem, say it's suffering or if it's a difficulty, well, I just can't do what God wants of me. No, no, no. God wants of us in every and any circumstance to trust him and obey him. 
And even in the most difficult of circumstances, God often commands us. Commands us to to be grateful. You know the right response in the midst of suffering? It's to thank God for for what it's what it's doing in your life, maturing you, perfecting you, filling up what's lacking in you, making you more like Christ. So, so these men, they, they heed his, his, his command and they, they, they go. Now, I, 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 it's not clearly said, but the impression is that at Ammon they still have leprosy. But just picture this, right? They're walking away. They're walking towards the priest. And one of them looks over at another. And his jaw drops. And his eyes pop. And a smile comes on his face and he says, look, look, look at yourself. Um, the leprosy's gone. And another looks at another and, and they look at themselves and they start to feel life in their hands, life in their toes, life in their nose. They've never felt it before. Literally as they go, we read, they were cleansed as they went they were cleansed I cannot imagine how ten maybe nine yeah, definitely nine stiff upper lip Jews <laughs> responded to a miracle like this I'm going to speculate Their lives are transformed, right? They're going to punch the air with joy. They're going to skip. They're going to sing. They're going to shout. Their lives have been transformed. All because of Jesus. This is the one who commands the wind and the waves and they obey him. He commands demons and they obey him. He commands death and it obeys him. He commands leprosy and it goes. He cleanses them. Here's my other point, right? If Jesus delights to hear our prayers, Jesus, you need to know, delights to answer them. And Jesus delights to answer them far above anything we could ever ask or even imagine. Because he always knows what's... He always knows. Sometimes we think we know what we, we want, but Jesus knows what we need. Now, now here's where we come to the punch of this passage. Verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God with a loud voice one of them looks at himself and he's completely amazed and so he swivels in his sandals and he turns back towards Jesus and he's got a loud voice because he's been a leper and so he's been shouting all of his life unclean, unclean and now he's praising God maybe he's saying something like tell out my soul how great thou art. Now, 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 just notice this is brilliant from, from, from Luke. Who healed him? Jesus. Who's he praising? God. Who's Jesus? 
Gott. That's who healed them. And it's like, in a little way, I think it looks like this, this, this leper saw something. Now, the other lepers, they were dutiful to the command. They knew, they would have known the Torah, the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus. They'd have known their duty was to go to the priest and for him to declare them clean. And yet this one, he comes to Jesus. Do you know why? Because Jesus is the great high priest. And he comes praising him. And you need to see this, right? Look details for us. Everything this man does. So it says, When he saw he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his feet at Jesus, it fell at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. This is stunning because I don't know how you would respond if someone today became a Christian in this church so overwhelmed by the salvation in their life if they fell flat on their faces. Like, we're Scottish Presbyterians. <laughs> or, or Presbyterians, and maybe not Presbyterians, but, but like, in Presbyterianism, like, we did the quorum. Like, I would, I would find it difficult. I would think it's strange if someone fell flat on their face. Why did he fall on his face? Jesus sweet. Do you know why? Because it's a great act of humility. Do you know that ingratitude is a symptom of a deeper sin? Pride? Do you know why people, we, don't find at times pride? We depend on ourselves. We look to ourselves. We forget God. We think of ourselves. And here's this man and he falls fat in his face. It's interesting seeing some African cultures and some tribes. If you want to say thank you to someone who's done something for you, you would fall flat on face first, on the ground, face in the dirt. And it's a way of communicating in some cultures I'm in your debt and I can never repay you. And I'm flat on my face because you're worthy of my honor, my respect, my love. And that's this man. He's flat on his face and he's thanking Jesus with a loud voice. His life has been changed. He's been cleansed. And now, do you know what he does? At the feet of Jesus, he builds an altar of praise and gives him the sacrifice of his lips. You, the great high priest, you're worthy of praise for what you've done in my life. Now, here's the thing. Looks a great storyteller, and it's like he's like not told us a part of the story that's essential, and if you look at the next verse, he says it. Now, by the way, he was a Samaritan. Like, it's a significant detail. He's a Samaritan. Like, he's of the people group that the Jews despise. 
Like, he's the least likely candidate to come back and say thank you to Jesus. He, he was a Samaritan. Now I said, look, storytelling is unpredictable, but in one sense, and Jesus can be unpredictable, but in our sense, this is, this is perfectly predictable because what's this, what's, what's the plan? God's plan for the salvation of his people. Is it just for Israel? No, it's for the nations. It's for people of all backgrounds, all tongues, all tribes. Here's Jesus again in Luke's gospel, showing that he shows favor to the Samaritans. There's, there's been that incident, Peter and John, or John and James. Jesus, can we call down thunder on the Samaritans, please? Let's just wipe them out. No. Jesus tells a story. Story of the Good Samaritan. Punchline of the story is the Good Samaritan's the example to be followed. And then love your neighbor. Jesus in John 4 is at a well with a Samaritan woman. She's so shocked that Jesus would even talk to her. He gives her war. Living war. Eternal life. In his great commission in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Go be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. You know what's amazing about Jesus is his heart for the nations. His faithfulness to those of different backgrounds, different, different ethnicities. Now, We may ask the question, why? Why the Samaritan? Why did he come back? And I, I would suggest to you that people who realize that they are most unworthy are often the people who give praise and thanks the God who is worthy. This Samaritan, he's of the wrong race, the wrong religion, the wrong background, worse disease. And he's the one who comes back. In this church today, this morning, something that just fills me with great excitement. I'm speaking to people and they say to me, I'm just a new Christian. <laughs> one, one person said to me, I, I just became a Christian in January. Another person said to me, I'm just a new Christian, just been a Christian for a couple of years. And that just excites me because new Christians have this first, this fresh love for Jesus. And, and, and listen, they put often mature Christians to shame. They love to talk of their Savior. They're earnest often in their prayers, big requests, faith. They've got no, not the inhibitions of a mature Christian who, who's, who's like, I'm not sure whether we, I, I should say that to, to, to my, my, perhaps my non-Christian friend, colleague. New Christians sometimes, they've got this way of sometimes showing up somebody who's, who's been in the church for a long time and been walking on the, the, the Christian path for a long time. And I think that, that dynamic's important because in this passage it's not explicit but implicit that the other nine were Jews. God's people. Raised in church. Dutifully taught. We go to, we go to synagogue. They knew the law. And yet they're the right. 
who when they see that how their lives have been changed, they're the ones who don't, who don't go back and say thank you. Now, they do many things right. They know it's the right duty. Only the priest can declare you clean. So they go to the priest. But they miss a great high priest. Now, in this passage, this is the next thing about Jesus that you need to know, is that he notices ingratitude. Like, he, he notices it and incenses him. Look at his response. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Jesus was so aware of this man's gratitude, but he was also very aware of the other nine and their ingratitude. And it is interesting, right? Because Jesus didn't say, go and then come back and give me thanks. He expects it. Because he, and he alone, is the one worthy of all praise. You know, you, know, you, you give someone a gift. Say it's Christmas and it's to your children. And you really want them to enjoy the gift. But you know, deeper than that, you really want them to love you, the giver. You've thought about it. You've given them something they knew they would like. But, but you're, you give them it knowing that... that the, that you love them and they love you and you want them to know that they are loved. How foolish it is when God gives us amazing gifts and, and we enjoy the gift, but we fail to say thank you to him, the giver, who loves us. Jesus notices their ingratitude. But he, he does hold up the example of this one foreigner. Now, I just want to draw this to a close. I just want to let Jesus examine and challenge us. So this morning we heard a sermon on the cross. We heard a sermon on Christ and him crucified. What's your response to Christ and him crucified? Not your response to the sermon, your response to him. And I think all of us who are Christians, we'd say, we are so grateful. We are so unworthy to be recipients of his love and his grace and his mercy. And those who have been forgiven much, they love much. And yet, do this, right? Jesus knows our heart condition. So he knows when our hearts... Our lips are engaged in singing praise, but our hearts are actually far from him. He knows when we give money to the kingdom's work, is it done cheerfully in response to him? Or is it done begrudgingly? It's mine. I need it for other things. He knows it. He knows us when we serve in church. Are we just doing this because it's a sense of duty and obligation? And yet, in response to his great love and how our king, the king of kings has served us, we should ought to want to serve him with joyful hearts. How we you, you, you give of our time. 
Jesus, I find it hard to make time for you during the week on a Lord's Day. He, he knows our hearts. And I think that's really challenging, right? He gets incensed in this passage when his people don't come and say, thank you. And so let the Spirit search your heart. Now, I said this story is, is connected to another story. And it is the story of the cross. And that's why I read Luke 23, because it's fascinating. There's Jesus, he's hanging on the cross, he breathes his last. And at the foot of the cross, now this is incredible. At the foot of the cross, there are people who follow Jesus. There's a woman from Galilee. There's the crowd. And you don't read they praise God. But you know what you do read? And this is, this is the wonder of salvation. There was a Roman centurion. By the way, a foreigner. By the way, an enemy. Of so many of God's people. And we read these amazing words. He praised God. Surely, certainly, this man was innocent. He sees Jesus for who he is. And he responds with such a grateful heart. And yet there are so many others, like there's nine lepers, only one who comes back and says, thank you. There's Lotpole, and we only read of this one in that occasion saying, thank you. And I think perhaps this reveals to us the propensity of us as people is towards ingratitude. Some of you saw Theo today. My little boy. Being a dad, it's new, it's hard. <laughs> Learning curve, right? One of the things, I was chatting to Harrison about this, I'm going to take Theo to any nice restaurants because not top manners yet, Right? You can be crazy in restaurants. You need to teach, you know, children, manners. You need to teach them to say thank you and please. Do you know it's a spiritual discipline to learn to always give thanks? It's a spiritual discipline to spend time meditating on what God has done for us and then to return thanks. Harrison prayed that in the prayer of confession so well. He said, or the essence of what he said was, you know, so often we go to God in our great need and our desperation and then we fail to return Rich thanks when he answers us. And so brothers and sisters, we need to learn. We need to see all that God has done for us, is doing for us, how he's hearing our prayers and answering them and go back to him and say thank you. Let the leprosy of the soul is ingratitude. And it'll have you sin and soul sick. The leprosy of the soul is ingratitude. It will eat you away on the inside. It will destroy your happiness. It will cripple your joy. It will wither your compassion. It will paralyze your praise. It will, you, it will render you numb to 
to the blessings of God. And so here's, here's, here's a point. We need to be killing the sin of pride and we need to be killing the symptom of ingratitude. And we need to be learning as we ask and then as God responds to say thank you. And this is going to be the pattern of the growing and the maturing Christian. I love that hymn I used to learn as a kid. Count your blessings one by one. Paul, last word, said this. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Maturing believer overflows with thankfulness. Let's bow our heads and let's give him the praise. Oh God, we praise you and we thank you. We thank you for the, as we've looked at this miracle of you healing these lepers. It reminds us of how you've saved us from our sin. Oh, we were sick with sin. It was a stench in your sight, revolting in your sight, and yet Christ, your son, paid for our sin full. The problem with our sin is it's been contagious and we've all turned away and we've even been leading others astray. God, we ask you would remind us of how great your salvation has been to us, those of us who know you and love you. Now, God, that we would learn to humble ourselves in your presence, to fall down, to bow down, in acknowledgement of your greatness and your goodness. God, we are so conscious that at times in our life, ingratitude is contagious with us. Sometimes we can gather together in, 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 in groups even of your people and we can moan and groan and complain and criticize. And yet we've got so much to be praising and giving thanks and encouraging one another with. Forgive us. Sometimes, God, we come to you in desperation and we, we ask of you to, to hear our pleas and to hear our prayers and you hear them and you answer them and we fail to return and give you thanks. And so, God, would you, would you help us with the spiritual discipline of always giving thanks? To give you thanks even for the food that, and the drink that we've enjoyed today, eaten and drank to your glory. Thank you for the provision of clothes and of homes. Thank you for the provision, Lord, of, of brothers and sisters in the Lord and of this church. Thank you for the provision of your day, the Lord's day set aside for us to make much of you. Thank you that from the rising of the sun until it's setting, we have the privilege and the joy of worshiping you. Thank you for your word. Your life-giving word. Your word which is like a mirror. When we look into it, we see ourselves for who we are. Sinners. 
is saved by grace. And we see in your word our Savior. Thank you for him. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you that he convicts us. Thank you that he comforts us. Thank you that he is at work within us. We pray that he would work to make us mature, rooted and established in our faith. Oh God, grant us, grant us the fresh faith, the first love that we once had for you and your son. Lord, in this church, may we always be cheerful givers, giving to the work of the gospel, giving of our time to the kingdom's advancement, giving, Lord, of ourselves to you, giving a sacrifice of praise from our lips. Oh God, may it all overflow from our hearts that have been wrought by the amazing things you have done for us. We pray this in your son's precious and powerful name. Amen.